Brian, thank you for taking the time to be here. I mean, this afternoon. Yeah. This is afternoon. Uh -huh. we, let's start off with this. This is my first time meeting you, but you have been such a loyal subscriber. <laughs> yeah. It seems like you look at everything I put out, you always at least click like on everything yeah, I put out. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I mean, you put some really great stuff, so I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> trying to keep up. I'm, you know? I'm, and now I hear the Irish accent. A little bit, yeah. Well, you know, my, my father is a, we call him a 10 pound pom. And a pom is a prisoner of Mother England. That's what Australians call British people. Exactly. Pom poms. So is my father was a POM, he was a P-O-M-E, a POMI. Wow. And he went to Australia in 1970-something for 10 pounds. Okay. Which is what, I don't know, maybe $100 at, okay, at the time. Right, right. And that was it. Because they were asking them there, to come There over. were mass immigration. Mass immigration at that time. It was 1960-something? Late 60s, early 60s. 60s, right, exactly. Yeah, and just, he went to England, Australia, never came home. Just but like me. You were born, where were you born? I'm Australian. You're Australian? Australian, born and raised in Australia. But you're Irish all the way through. Irish, <laughs> English, Australian. <laughs> Sound like a pirate. Wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. But I was watching your, because you sent me your Facebook page. Mm -hmm. You're a pro wrestler? Yeah. Oh, I'm one of those guys that can tell you, you can do anything in life at any, t any age. And you, you're about because to do it. Yep. You're showing it by going through, through examples. Well, I became a pro wrestler when I was 30 years old, which is probably about 10 years too late. And how, like how old are you now? 41. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were in your 20s. No, man. <laughs> 41. Born in 1981. Be 42 soon. Look at you. <laughs> well, you're taking good care of yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, that was, that's the wrestler in me. But that's martial arts more. I've been doing martial arts since I was seven. Aikido. Aikido, first karate. Okay. Karate first, and then Aikido. My dad teaches Aikido. Okay. So that's the whole Japan connection. I mean, I can tell you the whole martial well, arts. Let's start through this. Where were you born in Australia? Born in Sydney. In Sydney? In Sydney, Australia. That's the only place I've visited so okay, far. It's a beautiful, it. beautiful place. But I loved we it. left when, we, when I was three. Okay. And we moved up to, to Queensland, mm -hmm. the Gold Coast, mm -hmm. which is heaven on earth for me. Isn't it? It's, 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 um, the beaches are amazing. It's, yes. it's, uh, it's like Australian Hawaii. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. not so expensive. Right. All right. And so you stayed there all your life until what age? Until 19. Had you ever left it before? No, just, just to the UK a few times. Because I got dual citizenship from with the UK and Australia. Okay. So I went like three times. Right. You know, and my dad set me over myself once. Okay. You have siblings? Three younger sisters. You're the only boy. Yeah. And well, I have a half brother in the UK that I didn't meet till I was 35 years old. How many years difference between you and him? Uh, he's 14 years older than me. So he'd be fifth, year 55 now. And I didn't meet him until for the first time in my life until six years ago. It was yeah. crazy. Like, you, I had this guy with the same name as me, McAvoy. Which your father named him? Oh, and you mean last name? Last yes. name, sorry. That's right, right, right. Same last name as me, mm -hmm. but just had never met him. And then finally, because he had, uh, my, his, my father and his mother broke up when he was 14 and his mother married a South African okay. and took him to South Africa for half of his life. And he finally moved back to the UK and that's where I got to meet him. Also. So he was with your father till he was 14, 14 years old. And then so he knows his father. He, he knows, knows his, his father is yeah. his father. Yeah. 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 I so bet you got really rebellious, rebellious when he, they broke up. I bet you he was at 14 years old. 14 is a, a difficult a time to. It is very yeah, difficult. Yeah, yeah. Your and then hormones he, are kicking in and everything. And that was during the apartheid in, in South Africa when he, was, when he moved over there as an uh, immigrant. A lot of turmoil going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. In South Africa, it was tough. It was really tough for him, he said. Oh, so, so you, when you guys had that conversation, you brought that up? And brought that up a lot. Brought that up a lot, you know, and uh, dealing with uh, multicultures is nothing for him. 
mm. like dealing with African people, dealing that's with, with does that's, that's he live with them, they're everyday, they're his friends. But prior to that, he didn't. So what was it like? It was a culture shock for him because he was 14 already. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he wasn't used to being around Africa. Well, he was used to being in Australia and the UK. That's right, of that. course, yeah. of course. Yeah. Well, so yeah, he speaks Afrikaans and. Africa? Yeah, 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 he speaks it. No, I don't know how fluently, but he's. Okay, he but he, know, he understands yeah, it. He understands right, it, he, it, he speaks it a little bit. And yeah, My but God. I mean, I have three sisters, younger sisters. Okay, so what is, what's the age difference between your three younger sisters? My. Uh, so I'm, I'm born in 1981, the next one is 1983. But it's two years. Okay. Two years. But when she was born, with due to negligence and malpractice, she was born normal. But the doctor decided to take off, and she got brain damage purely oh, from. So she's uh, she's four, just turned forty, but forever four. I understand. Forever understand. four. That's sad. Okay. So yeah, I, I even tear up a little bit now yeah, about I it. You know. I understand. Yes. But uh, that's that's life. She's right. as happy as as she doesn't know any different. She's the happiest person in the world. Always smiling. Yeah. She calls me every day, without fail. I gave her an iPhone for her birthday about three years ago. Without fail, at 5 p.m., she every calls day. me every day. <laughs> and beautiful. we talk for like one minute. That's, That's it, just one minute. Because I don't know if she, maybe her attention span, she can't okay, deal with that. that. But it's like, hi, Rayon. And then she gives me her schedule, what she did for the day. Okay. I did this, I did this, I did this. And what did you do? And she's like, oh, I got to go, see ya. But who's she, she living in a she lives in a sh shared facility with shared three facility. other uh, two other girls. Okay, but did she did you grow up with her? Yeah, yeah of course we. Okay, she's, she was she, only lived, she moved there about eight years ago. Oh, I see. I so see. She was with my mother for okay. a long time. So your next sister? Eighty-five, so four years younger. Okay. And she was a single mother as well who went through a really hard time. Right, we're gonna get to that. We're gonna part. get to that. Sorry, yeah. I, I said as well, but That's yeah, okay. she's a single mother and she went through a really hard time. That was my first introduction to how hard single mothers have it. Seeing her. Are you, are you close to her? Oh, well, I've been here for so long in Japan. It's, it's hard to be close, close. But I mean, we, we talk and we, right. you know, we message and right. yeah. And then the baby is, uh, well, she's not a baby anymore. She's not a baby anymore, but she's 30. <laughs> uh, we, she's still the baby for us. Does she have kids of her own? No. Okay. But she, well, she probably will soon. She's mm -hmm. getting, getting ready, to, I think, at that stage of her life. To, right. She's 88, so just turned 34. So 35 this year. 88, she's 30, yeah, she'll be 35 this year. 35 yeah. this year, but yeah, yeah she's, uh, you know, as we say in Australia, getting clucky. <laughs> you know, with I don't remember, I can imagine what that means. Okay. Well, you know, roost, you know well, chicken, chickens, because we used to have a, a small chicken farm in Australia. Okay. So it was my job every morning in Australia, when I'd wake up before I go to school, I'd have to go down and open up the chicken house. And because in Australia, it's, it's uh, he who dares winds of wild animals, okay. snakes, Right, Big right. goannas, Spiders, lizards. Everything. Yes. So I would have to open the hen house and look in for we call them goannas, which are giant, giant lizards. Like about. Did it poisonous? Poisonous. Well, they bite you, and then every time around that year, wherever you're getting bitten, once a year, uh, something swells up in wherever you're bitten. Okay. So what we used to do is we used to mark the chicken eggs with X's. We put poison in there because they would they target the clucky chickens, and a clucky chicken is a chicken that wants to have babies. I see. Right. So that's a clucky chicken. So. Okay. Every morning, and like carpet snakes, massive three, four meter long carpet snakes just rolling in. It's, you know, look out my window, and kangaroos are jumping outside, koalas everywhere. I mean, we lived in a, in a pretty big one acre property in Australia okay. when there was wild animals everywhere. We grew up with wild animals, you know. You know that in wintertime, if there's a big hole in the ground, you're safe because the snake's sleeping down there. Okay. But once it starts to get warm, and it gets very warm in Australia, right. that snake's coming out. Right. You know. So, my goodness. Okay, now tell me, take me to the third sister, the youngest. Third sister. Um, she just she. They all lived in the UK 
and they they move back to Australia and they're they're mm. doing their thing. And okay. Yeah, she's married. Yeah. They're both married. Well, the other one just got remarried. The woman okay. that was a single mother. Right, right. Yeah. So. Yeah. But you're kind of good with all your sisters. You're the older yeah. brother. Older brother. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what? I've been here so long that I kind of became half, maybe not half Japanese, but a little bit Japanese in like the way I think. Like you know, like. Time is the time, and if you say you're gonna do something, you do it. And Australia is like, well, one o'clock means two o'clock. Might it might mean two o'clock? Yeah. Yeah. Right. right? Um, you know, but yeah, I I generally try not to be an overbearing big I brother. See. Just I give see. them you know big brother advice when they don't listen anyway. But <laughs> so tell me, so what kind of kid were you when you were growing up? I mean, you I understand the fact that you lived on this large property with mm -hmm. all these all of nature around you mm -hmm. all the time. Were you you had to by force, I guess, just by nature. You had to be very outdoors-like. Uh, well, okay, so what happened was my entire introduction to Japan probably started when I was seven, right? I yeah, went yeah. to a school camp. Mm -hmm. it was a, I went to a, a public school, and I was seven years old, and for some stupid reason, there was a 12-year-old boy, and he was a very large boy. And for whatever reason, stupid little seven-year-old me said, Hey, fatso. I don't know why. Okay. I was never that kind of kid. Because he was fat, but he was fat. He was fat. Okay. But, but that, that I was not really that kind of kid, but for whatever reason, I thought, and he just turned around and he just whacked me. All right. And my entire face, you know, swell, sw uh, got swollen, mm -hmm. and my dad came home and he was doing martial arts for a long time, and he'd, you know, done it in the UK, and he was doing it in Australia, and he took one look at me and he said, did you fight back? And I was like, huh, what? I mean, he's so Ooh. big. What's the concept? And so old. And that's the old school Northern English kind of way of thinking, you know, like, and uh, I wouldn't personally, if I had a son, I wouldn't say, did you fight back? But, mm. but that was his upbringing and that's, that's how he wanted to raise me. And well, no, no, sir. Okay, we're well, putting you into martial arts school. And so that's my, I, I was uh, started karate. At seven. At seven. Yep. And so what uh, happened? Did you, when was the first time you said, oh, this stuff really works? Did you? Oh, I, well, I was in the... <laughs> Oh, the Australian junior team, national team. What was this? How old were you then? Uh, about 12. Okay, so you've been doing martial arts for about seven or five years. Yeah, and already... Okay. Um, actually, no, well, I was, it was Taekwondo at the time. Taekwondo, okay. And then I joined karate when I was 14. Sorry, my mistake. All right. All right. So I was in the Australian junior Taekwondo team. Right. And they were trying to go to the Olympics, but they said, like, we've got to wait like three more years, four more years. It's not an Olympic sport yet. Just wait, wait, wait. And my dad was like, well, we're not waiting. Right, well, that's why he put me in karate. Okay. So I was training in an Australian, like training on, like a training on squad. I'll never, like on a rugby field, okay. like about a hundred people, like potential future Olympians, Olympians that right. they were just looking for, you the know. ones that really had the... ones that had it. And uh, when I got to the peak as a child, he ripped me back and said, nope, start you again. I in started karate. in karate. So I was like second dan black belt in, in, as a child in Taekwondo. And then he said, nope, back to white belt. When I went started all over again, and yeah. And which did you? Which do you like best? If you think. Oh, it doesn't. I, it's six and one half dozen of the other. I think okay. really it's Korean versus right, Japan. Right, right, right. Um, but you know, as as a kid, I started watching a lot of basketball more, and really got into the NBA and you know East West Coast rap, and you know you get caught up in a ch as, a, as a child and all that kind of stuff. And I threw karate out the door. I don't want to do it anymore. I just want to play basketball. What age? Uh, Sixteen. Okay. Now he did, my dad didn't talk to me for a year. <laughs> <laughs> so from seven until fourteen, almost. Uh, th yeah, fourteen, almost. Yep, first grade of junior high, so right. thirteen. 
doing Taekwondo. Taekwondo. Then and then after that, then three, just another two years or three years. Two or three years of karate. karate and, and then you I'm said, I'm done. I'm done. And dad said, guess what? Guess what? You're not my son. Yeah, pretty much. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what'd you do? It was uh, really but it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't as nice as what you're just saying. I see what you're saying. It was, uh, it was borderline mental abuse, you know. Like he's, it's, it's just his generation, I suppose. I understand. Like hardcore. Like you're useless. You're nothing. You can't do this. You can't so do that. So how did you handle that? How did you handle ah, that? I just cried with my mom. <laughs> she, she couldn't stand up to him. And, I mean, he's not a bad guy. It's I just, understand what you're saying. It's, it's just, it's just that he's, he's 80 now. He grew up in 19, he was born in 1942 during the war. But you told me she was a lot younger than him too. Ah, uh, yes, 10 years younger. Okay, yeah. 10 years yeah, younger. Yeah, my okay. mother, yeah, sweet, sweetheart, absolute that's sweetheart. Good. And yeah. they're both doing well now? Yeah, well, they separated. Oh, they but, did? Yeah, they separated, but that's, that's How okay. How old were you when they separated? Oh, it was only t 15 years ago, so I was oh, here okay. in Japan, so. So they stayed together all, so well, all your, For all the children. They did, I see. Uh, for the children. I and see. And then when, it's, when everyone flies the nest, and they went on their own. Did he get married again? Yes, he did. He got. He actually married a, a Chinese woman. Does he have kids by her? No, 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 no. What no. about your mother? Did she get no, married? No, she again? never. She never got remarried. Okay. She lives with her dog, and you know, and that's it. And she's, she gets a little bit lonely sometimes. So I try to call her. And what about the daughter? What about her daughters? Do they live close by her? No, we. They well, she she wanted to get far away from. You know, from you know when you divorce someone, you, it's time to. Oh, because they stayed over close by their dad. Yeah, yeah, they stayed. They well, stayed because they're daddy's babies. Daddy's babies. <laughs> That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, but but a, a funny story is that, so, sixteen, I quit. Nineteen. I don't know if you ever remember the very first, internet chat rooms back in the day. There was one called ICQ. Okay. And it was the very first ever, internet chat program. Just looking on there one day, and I I saw my sensei's daughter from the karate days on there. I was like, oh my God, that's, that's Bianca. I had a massive crush on her as a teenager from 14 to 16, massive. It's just Sensei's daughter. I mean, who didn't, who didn't have a crush on her? And I started talking to her and she's like, come down to the dojo. that would be great to see you again. And I'll be honest with you, I did not go down to the dojo to join karate. I went down there to see, see, Bianca. see Bianca. Within 30 minutes, their mother had signed me up to karate. I had signed without even knowing what I was doing. I couldn't say no. I had rejoined karate with no intention of doing it. Age Eight, nine, 19. 19. S less than six months later, I was champion of my state. <laughs> did Bianca, had you, had you kindled something with Bianca? No, nothing, nothing ever happened. Nothing? Nothing ever happened. No, that's okay. That's, okay, that's, that's okay. That's life. But that was, yeah, it's like... Gee, it brings back memories. They think of that. So, what would your father say then? He came down to watch when I was fought in the championships. You can imagine, like Cobra Kai. It was like Cobra Kai, I understand. the right. Old Valley right, tournament right, right, right. that I won as an orange belt. Yes, but it was because it was in my blood. It was in my I don't since I was a kid, and I saw him at the top, the very bleachers. Oh, you noticed? Him. I saw him up there. You didn't know he was coming. I didn't know he was coming. No, no. And he snuck in, and he was watching like that, and he was like, oh. And, Afterwards, he was like, because he used to come to all my matches when I was a kid. And he used to f video them. And he'd even be like, kind of like a coach. He'd be like, kick his ass, kick his ass. Because I used to have to fight against the adults when I was 14, 15. Like, you know, like, like young men, 20, 21 year olds. Right? Because uh, that's just the way it was. We fought mm -hmm, against the older mm -hmm, people. Mm -hmm. And he, would, he had it in my mind, kill him, kill him. Like, he was like, like a coach on the side. And he, we still got all the video. That he used to take. He was very proud of me, so it probably really broke his heart when I said at sixteen, you know, I'm done with this, you know. Mm -hmm. But he was there, and so I know that it kind of you kind kindled of made, in the side a little bit, a little bit. Later. But then uh, came in Japan and for karate, an eight week trip, and that was the first time I'd been here. Wait, wait, during that time? Yeah, yeah, right around that time. Okay. Yeah. 
I was playing uh, Yahoo Checkers online with my, my best friend from Australia, and he was in Japan. And as a joke, he said to me, why don't you come to Japan? As, as a joke back, I said, why don't you lend me the money? Because I was just a poor student. And he said, I'll lend you the money. I was like, what? And he's like, I'll put it in, but you've got to pay me back. I was like, well, yeah, of course I'll pay you back. And three days later, my flight money was in the bank. And then a week later, I was here. Completely random. Staying with him? Yeah, staying with him out in Saitama. He was a student here. And I did an eight-week trip I, for karate. I trained like, three days a week. And that, I only stayed eight weeks, but that was the beginning of falling in love with Japan. And since that time, I've been here, I was 19, so 20 out of 22 years. And what about your schooling? Wait, wait, wait. What about college and all that other stuff? Did you go? I was a first-year IT student at the time. In Australia? In Australia. And okay. at the end of that first year, I came to visit him. And when I went back to do start my second year, I had nothing else in my head but Japan, Japan, Japan. You wanted Japan. to get back here? Just wanted to get back here. Because uh, Japan is a country where you can invent yourself. You can be anything you want in Japan. You can be the poorest, skinniest guy, but Japanese are so kind and they give you so many opportunities. And I invented myself here. I was not this guy that you see now. That's not the guy that came here. Right? I was, I'm not a, what, just some guy out of the front's like, man, you're so buff. The, one of the staff yes, here. I was like, I'm not a buff. I was never a buff pro wrestler. You were a little skinny guy. A skinny little 100-pound, you know, kid. Martial artist. Yeah, well, doing martial arts. <laughs> I don't know if I was a martial artist, but doing it. And uh, Japan has been kind to me. So. So, so when you came over here, your impression was what? You had no experience with Japan other than the martial arts. Yeah. That's all you Never had. talked to a Japanese. None of your instructors were Japanese. No, all Australian. Well, my instructor's instructor was Japanese, but I had never met him. Okay. You know, so. So what's, what, what was the, 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 the thing that captured you when you got, came here that you said, wow, I want more of that? The first two days, I just wanted to go home when I first got here. I was like, I'm so homesick. But after that day three or four, I was like, oh my God, this place rocks. And well, how? What was it? Oh, uh, I don't know. It just, it felt, just felt home. I can't really put my, my, my finger on it. Just, well, you're you, in a the small tatami mat room. You're sharing it with your buddy. Well, the first thing was you get to meet so many different people from so many different countries. Like your Swedish guys, Americans, uh, English, you know. Which you hadn't done before. No, because in Australia, it's just Australians. That's it. Like you've read you read Yeah, kangaroos too. Kangaroos and, and crocodiles if you go to the right. And camels if you live in the right place, right? <laughs> if you go to the right places, you can meet any kind of animal in Australia. But uh, yeah, so just you got to meet different people and, you know, I'm not going to lie, 19, you discover Rapongi for the first time and... You know, and, and the girls uh, are yeah, and, sweet just, and, and I was a little. And everyone's laughing and smiling. Everyone's all the time. smiling and everyone's friendly, and you can get drunk and you know and feel safe and feel safe and walk home and you know you see a Japanese guy with doing his little platform pizza, you know, and you, everybody's just laughing. Oh, are you okay? Are you okay? And there's no violence. There was, you know, it was, and you know, there's still some problems with my my father. He never got over the fact that I quit karate. At what he thought was my my best time okay. even though I went back he never accepted me really going back we never talked about it and so there's a kind of like I'm gonna go out and be my own man you know because he had said things like uh you like he said some horrible things okay. that didn't he didn't mean and we're, we're good now but he said like you're useless you're you. you're you're and never to a child that you're can never be very devastating yes. you're never gonna be anything you're nobody right you know and he even said once like why can't you be more like the school captain who ended up, that captain ended up getting arrested for stealing cars later on. But that was my, my real motivation to, to make something of myself, you know. And also the thing that I could always remember doing martial arts, uh, 
growing up in the 80s, watching the 80s action stars like Jean-Claude Van Damme, you know, Chuck Norris, Steven Seagal. Oh my God, I want to be like these guys. That's where my filmmaking stuff came in. You know, like I, martial, my martial arts, my wrestling, my filmmaking, they're all, com- everything is tangled together. Everything is combined. I'm not, I'm not a wrestler without the filmmaking. I'm not a martial artist without the wrestling. I'm not, it's all, it's all, they're all connected. You know, so, so tell me, okay, so when did you know that started to happen? Because you oh, didn't plan from, it that way. From a very early age, I wanted to, very early age, I was either going to be an action star or a pro wrestler. I'm talking like eight or nine years old. Everything I ever done in my life, ever, was to be an action star on the screen or a pro wrestler. I tried the action stuff first. I made some short films. And I quickly realized, well, what happened was I, I wrote a script. This is why you're in Australia. No, I'm in Japan. I've been in Japan 20 of the last 22 years. Well, yeah, okay, so, all the, so you couldn't realize any of this until you came here. Yes. Okay, so when you got here, then tell me, okay, so how did it start? Okay, well, so you asked about my schooling. Right. Right, so we'll go back to the schooling very okay. quickly. So first year student IT quit, didn't want to do any more of it, uh, but did my second year anyway, but I just couldn't handle it anymore, and I left to come back to Japan without finishing my final exams. I uh, just didn't sit the exams. I just didn't want to do anything with school. I got a letter of academic warning. Your, scr- your grades are so low, we're going to kick you out of the school. Uh, I said, okay, well, I'm going to take some time off and please put me on. And so then I was here for 18 months as a Nova teacher. If you remember the old Nova, Ekimai Novas. Yes, yes. But I was also the youngest ever Nova teacher at 20. And they even told me that on orientation. You're the youngest guy we've ever hired. Well, why did you hire me? Well, we saw your passion for how much you wanted to come to Japan. But somewhere through that, due to my friend being a student here, I had realized that I need to really learn Japanese really fast, right? Because everyone around me spoke pretty decently. So I ended up finding a homestay as a Nova teacher. I quit Nova, joined this homestay, and lived with a Japanese family for nine months, and went from zero to about 30% very quickly because like, there's, no, there's no English. And then I realized, well, you know what? If I want to live in Japan, I need a degree. I better go back to school, but I don't want to do IT anymore. So I just did uh, Japanese as a language, as a major, and my history as a minor. Second year, I came back here as an exchange student, and I went to Japanese university for a year. We didn't do much study. You know, I was getting credits for playing, joining the basketball class and the tennis classes and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But yeah. you just got to be immersed. All the, all the school cared about was that you're immersed Did in you Japan because you're there. Then went back very quickly, finished my third year, got my nice little degree, and in what? In Japanese major in Japanese language and minor in history, and uh, straight back flew the coop straight away back to Japan and been here ever since. That's the end of two thousand and five. So that's the schooling in a in a nutshell. But you had no? Did you have intentions of being here permanently? Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. You never wanted to live back. Do you even now? You're thinking you want to be here indefinitely? I don't know if Japan is a, a nice place for old peoples, as so to speak. I think I'd rather go live on the beach in my senior years, but I see no reason to leave I see. at the moment. Um, the yeah. film stuff is taking Would you go back to Australia if you went? Probably, back? probably. Okay. I'd like to open a dojo there, a martial arts school in Australia. Yeah. There. But anyway, so where are we? We got to the schooling is finished. We covered that. Yes, yes. From eight or nine years old, I always knew I wanted to be an action star or a pro wrestler, like we were saying. I wrote a script. An American guy said, I'll direct it. You can be the star. I had no idea what I was doing. I had never touched a camera before. I lie, actually. My father had bought a big TV camera when I was a little kid to film his martial arts classes. That's why I said everything's combined. Everything's intertwined. I was filming his martial arts classes as a boy with a big, massive TV camera, which is total overkill for a kid, you know? But so filming martial arts, touching cameras, it's, it's, you know, doing martial arts, you know, seeing my dad use the camera. Everything is... 
You see what I mean? Like everything is, right, is right. intertwined. I'm not, right. I'm not one without the other. Right. You weren't shy about it. You had access to it, not realizing mm -hmm. that someday you'd actually be doing this. And doing so when, you, when you had a chance to do it for real, you said, yeah, I've been doing it. Yeah. It's just so. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That so so I wrote this script. I asked this American guy that I was teaching martial arts to to direct it, and he said I'll direct it. And we shot one day of stuff. I had, like I said, I, I knew how to s roughly use a camera somewhat, but I was not a director. I didn't know how to act. And then he had visa problems and he had to leave. And he said, "Here's your project." And I have this project with like six or seven Japanese actors on it. Uh, suddenly. I had to do everything by myself. I hadn't a clue what to do, but we finished it. And it's still on YouTube. It's funny. It's, it's not bad for what it was, but I had to teach myself basically everything about filmmaking because I was forced to do it. Okay, so this guy's now, he's gone. He's not going to edit it for me. So who's going to edit it? Well, I better learn how to edit, right? And I quickly realized as well, I, I ain't no actor. I realized that from this first short film, I ain't no actor. <laughs> you know, the Japanese, they have this saying called a, a daikon actor, right? It's okay. like a radish. I don't know why they call it a radish actor. I haven't heard that, but go on. Daikon, daikon yaksha, that means you're just a really terrible actor. And, you know, like my wife said, no, you're, you're a daikon yaksha. You be. And I was like, you know what? I really am more suited to behind the camera. Because okay. I had to take his role. So I was like on it, behind it, doing everything else. And then I realized, you know what? Uh, I've, I had an epiphany. You know what? No more. No more in on-screen stuff. Let's focus behind the screen. But I still had that idea, passion to be the wrestler. Mm -hmm. So how'd that start? How'd that start? <laughs> and how you started? Because, I mean, when I, when I looked at your, you, your Facebook page and I saw all those scenes of you jumping off the ropes, being on the ropes, holding the belt, and all these guys you're with, some of them are what that big guy you were against, that sumo wrestler. I'm going, <laughs> what is this? I said, I can't be meeting this guy because this is unreal. Yeah. You did all that. And I thought you were a lot bigger because no, the I'm guys a, you're with. Yeah, no, I'm, a, I'm not very, I'm five foot nine. Five foot nine, yes. Uh, if I that put, shot if I, me. If I put my, my Tom Cruise boots on, <laughs> I could probably get to 5'10". <laughs> He's got his magic boots, but it was just from doing it as a kid, martial okay. arts. The martial arts helped. The history of Japanese wrestling in a, in a, in a nutshell. Japan loses World War II. Tokyo is destroyed. Other places around this are destroyed. Japanese people are mentally and physically, their morale is absolutely demolished. They need to pick themselves up. The Americans are smart. They know the Japanese need to pick themselves up. They bring a circus act in of pro wrestlers. But who are we going to use for wrestlers? We don't have any wrestlers. Well, we'll take this sumo guy. We'll take this judo guy. We'll use this karate guy. And we, but we need to make a star because we need the Japanese wrestlers, one of them, to beat the big white man. That's what it was. The, the Sharp Brothers were some of the first early ones that came over from America. And the whole point of the whole wrestling to start off was we need to boost morale in Japan, right? Because we need to get this country moving again. So they bring in, and that was the, the prerequisite. You had to be big, preferably a white guy, but big. It didn't matter if you couldn't wrestle because anyway, the Japanese were going to beat you. That was preferably the time uh, in the 50s. And they used pro wrestling to boost the morale of the country. TV became a big thing in Japan because of pro wrestling. But my point of this is that Japanese pro wrestling is not like the U.S. where it's basically you, you learn a few moves in the U.S. but you got to really learn how to talk. you got to be charismatic. you got to know how to do the mic and the slams. In Japan, there's none of that. Japan, is, it's, it's the fight to the death. It's still the real, it's the real uh, the spirit of the fight. So it's basically still kind of martial arts. So I already had my foot in the door having done martial arts, right? And then I was still looking for that angle. Like I said, everything that I had done in my life was to, only to do two things, was to be a, 
filmmaker mm-hmm. or a pro wrestler. So I was always looking for a way to get in. And then uh, one of my friends, like rest in peace, uh, Eric, he was an American that passed away in Tokyo. Um, but he was a kickboxer. And he said to me uh, about 28, when I was 28, he said, you know what, like, I know you really want to be a pro wrestler. And I know that you're doing Aikido right now. But you know what, in Japan, kickboxers do MMA. MMA guys do uh, pro wrestling. Pro wrestling guys do MMA. That's all intertwined. So why don't you come down to my kickboxing dojo? You never know what's going to happen. I said, yeah, okay, why not? I, you know, I haven't done karate for a while. I need to get my kicks back up again. I was in there for about a year, and there was a fortune teller in there, a Japanese woman. And she says to me in the dojo, I'll, I'll read your, your palms, and I'll do your tarots for you. It was so random. It was so completely random. But this is how the, when the dominoes fall in your favor, right. they fall. And I said, okay, okay, so read my palms. And she reads my palms. Uh, reads my tarots. Oh, you're not you're not doing what you want to do in life. What do you want to do? I always wanted to be a pro wrestler. And she's like, what? Why didn't you say something earlier? She said, I know this guy, this guy, and this guy. And she hooked me up with one dude. I'll never forget. I was uh, it was uh, I had worked for Bank of America Merrill Lynch for a year, uh, and that wasn't going too well. I was not really a, a kind of finance guy. And I'm sitting there one day at my desk with my old flip phone. I was like, do I send this email to him? I want to be a pro wrestler, sir. You know the old flip phones, sir. I'd love to be a pro wrestler. Because that means you got to go all in. That's right. If you want to be right. a pro wrestler, you got to go in. So 29 years old, sat there at my desk, and I was like, you know what? Send it. And uh, cut a long story short, at 30, I never forget. I stood in the ring with all these young kids, early 20s, mid 20s. Right. I bowed and I said, well, I'm 30 years old, and I know I'm a lot older than you guys, but you're just gonna get us. You said that. Yep. Did they understand you? They understood. I said it in Japanese. Oh, okay, they understood okay, okay. it. Okay. They understood right, it. Right. And they looked at me like, who's this old guy? Because for them, I must have been super old at 30. They were 21, 22. Mm-hmm, and, you know, mm-hmm. it, I had a dream. You know, my dream was to be a pro wrestler in Japan. Well, anyway, but I was in Japan. Sure. So How long did it last? I'm still doing it now. Oh, you're still doing still it doing now? It, but not so much. So how long? How long how? That's, that was 10 years ago. So you've been doing it for 10 years? 10 years. Yeah. Okay. What is the hardest thing that's happened to you during that time? So okay. I told you that Japan, early Japanese pro wrestling all came from like sumo and judo. Right. It's, and so the training methods are still like this. And so what that means is a lot of uh, bullying, a lot of hazing. I don't know if you hear about things like in, in the sumo world where a couple of young kids have been killed because they've been hit by baseball bats. I know. I know. That's real stuff, right? And the judo is the same. Like, I don't know what it is about old school Japanese training, but I had all that, right? When I couldn't do a technique. Were you the only foreigner there? The only foreigner. When I couldn't do a technique properly, the, the head teacher kicked me as hard as I could, as hard as he could, sorry. That's okay, I thought about giving up at that time as well. I was like, oh, do I need to take this? I'm not Japanese, you know, why, why do I need to take this from these guys? I was, I was like, you know what, I'll just stick it out and see what happens. That, no, something else came up, it had to be more than just that. The, 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 the desire to, to make it. Did you ever think about your dad? During that I day? told him when I first started wrestling. I said, hey dad, guess what, I'm gonna, I'll never forget, I was on Skype with him. I said, hey, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna become a pro wrestler, I'm gonna do wrestling training. And he just, he goes, oh yeah. And then he changed the topic completely. No acknowledgement. So that made you kind of mad? Not mad, but just, mad, but just, just like, oh, again. Okay. Again, okay. It's just hard to get acknowledge, any kind of acknowledgement from right. from me. So I don't know, it's just I got it. that hit old school, really old school. Has he ever given you acknowledgement up till oh. now? It hasn't come yet? Maybe once. Okay. He's, he, this is a funny story. I was back in Australia in September. And I did a pro wrestling show in Australia. And I do it just basically for my friends and my family. It's a great way to see everybody. They come down. My mom is a massive fan of, of my pro wrestling, right? In her house, like my photos are everywhere. My sister's called the Rayon Shrine. It's all the, every clipping or photo she's got everywhere. And so I do it basically for her. 
and my nephews are young, and you know, get to so see. So she makes sure that she knows she loves what you're doing. She loves what she I has. My biggest supporter. You don't have anything to worry about because that's all. A man, I always tell my told my wife this. The only thing a man needs to know is that his mother loves him unconditionally, and he can conquer the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dad so isn't it's really so that important. No, no, he no. really isn't. No. He might piss you off, yeah. but if you didn't have the love of your mother, yeah, yeah, it's so true. Don't you think so? Yeah. But the funny story I was going to say is that uh, he refused to come to any of my shows for so long. And I said, come on, Dad. Like, sometimes I poke him. Like, come on, come down. You know, when are you going to see me wrestle again? You're not coming to Japan anytime soon. And nope, not going, not going, not going. Well, anyway, this one time in September, he finally, for whatever reason, decided he was going to come down. And even to the day before, he's like, I'm not going. My little sister dragged him down there. And he sits there like the whole time like this. Because I was on last, right? It was the main event. Because, you know, being in Japan and being a wrestler, is kind of, they really look up to you a lot. Because like Japan is kind of like the mecca for if you're not in WWE, Japan is kind of the mecca of wrestling in the world. And then he's sitting there and he's like this. As soon as I come out, I see him and he stands up. And he crosses his arms like that, and for the whole match, he's standing and watching. Stand, stand, standing, <laughs> standing and watching. I can see him from the ring. You couldn't right? get any more salute. You can than see. That. I get a little bit. Em- I get a bit emotional. That that was the acknowledgement. That's, that's, that's the, he gave you the most he could give you, and that meant a lot. That's the acknowledgement. He stood so, up and you could see the like, whole it makes time. me emotional. I, I'm, that's a, beautiful. I'm an emotional person. That's why yeah. I, uh, I yeah. became a documentary filmmaker. That is so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so well, your documentary. Before I say anything else, put tears in my eyes at the end mm, of it. Thank you. You did that so well. That's why you saw the way I had to. I said I have to tell him right now yeah. before it comes. I kid you not. And I get emotional easily too, but mm. it has to be good. Right. Yeah. When I see love and someone putting that much care in something, you did not <laughs> miss a lick. Yeah. Thank you. The. The team you put together to make that work, it worked. And I see your wife was in it, too, because she was the producer. She produced it. I saw yeah, that. Yeah, I saw yeah, that. Yeah, she produced I it. I figured that had to be your wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're the director. Yeah. I mean, you did a great job. Yeah. Well, so give me a little bit more about it. So your dad's standing up like that. Tell me, get more a little bit in detail. Oh, well, and then afterwards, uh, he, uh, he made a comment to my sister. He's like, oh, I wouldn't like to get kicked by him. <laughs> 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 so that, 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 that's as much as it gets. There's no more. That's that, that so was it. Good. That's and, good. and when I sat down to, with him afterwards and in the living room, I said, "Was there anything you want to know about, like wh- what I was doing?" No. Back to the TV. Nothing. <laughs> well, how was mom? Let's go to mom. Uh, mom, mom, she's the biggest one. You can, and also her and my my <laughs> sister, who I told you was uh, forty, but four right, or five right, right, forever. Right. She they're was. The, was she there? They're too? all there. Okay. She was the loudest in the room. The two of them. <laughs> she went nuts. went nuts. If you didn't win, she was going to come in there and she help you. She was going to come. And here's a good story. <laughs> when I won the, uh, the championship in Tokyo, uh, in Koraken Hall, so I was uh, an, Austra- an Australian fighting another Australian in Tokyo for an Australian uh, championship on Anzac Day. And that's, uh, Anzac is the Australian New Zealand Armed Services uh, all basically a bunch of Australians and New Zealanders all got killed together in World War One, and we have an Anzac Day, which is kind of like a Memorial Day, I guess, yes, for you. Yes, That's yes. our big day. We remember the servicemen and women in Australia. So on Anzac Day, two Australians fighting for an Australian title in Tokyo. My mom is in the crowd. And after I won it, uh, I got her in to the ring, and the whole crowd is going, Mama, Mama, Mama. So she had her moment, and she tells everybody about it. And that was 10 years ago, almost, nine That's years ago. Beautiful. She tells everybody about it. Why wouldn't she? Yeah, she's a uh, baby so, boy. What are yeah, you yeah. So there you, you know go. what they say? I heard someone say this the other day, and it almost put a tear in my eye. They said that for a son, particularly the first one, his first true love is his mother. Mm. And for a mother, mm. her last true love mm. is her son. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah. Oh. 
That's that's well, what we, that means. We went yeah. through a lot of similar things with uh, that the girls didn't get, you know, with with dealing with my my father for mm. whatever reason. He wanted to treat me and my mother one way, and treat the girls with the girls, all his love. All his love, but we didn't get we didn't really get that. So we have a lot in common. I hear you. You know, so I hear you. But you have each other. We have each other. That's yeah. what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. That's all you need. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot, who cares? The rest yeah. of the world can go away. Yeah. Shoot, you got yeah. each other. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So wow, you raised a good son. Yeah, thank you. He's good. No, I'm telling your mother right <laughs> okay, now. Okay, yeah. That is beautiful. Yeah, I'll have to send it to her now. So oh, she'll, uh, oh, she'll, she'll be, she'll be uh, oh. telling everybody on Facebook about the, oh, the interview. That is beautiful. Yeah, thank you. So okay, so then, so after that, so then you're here in Japan. How did you meet your wife? Let's go into that. Oh, uh, through Aikido. <laughs> she, yeah. she does Aikido? Well, no, her daughter was doing it. Yeah, it was oh, a sing- oh, well, just a single mother uh, okay. with her daughter doing Aikido and just I... I spotted her and talked to her, and there's not, not much to say, really. That's just. <laughs> How long ago was that? That was 2007. When did you get married? Oh, not long ago, actually. We were because okay. of my wrestling career. I see. I uh, just uh, they had their thing, we had our thing, but I had my wrestling. That was that was the big thing for me. So as long as we we took care of each other, she knew that wrestling was everything. To you. She so she understood. She was supportive, very supportive. Right. And uh, then when I realized that wrestling is not the the center of the world, 2017 or so, that's when we decided to you know make it forever. Right. Uh, Do you have children of your own? No, 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 no not You're happy with the one you have? Yeah. Well, I mean, my wife's a little bit older than me. Okay. So mm-hmm. uh, I the boat may have sailed a little bit because I was so focused on wrestling. Right. Right. I so see. that's okay. That's, that's that's okay. You know, I wouldn't have become a wrestler if I had had kids at that age. Mm-hmm. And if you, it would have been hard for them. Mm-hmm. Been very very hard. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, so. so now let's talk about now. Let's get into this part. <laughs> Your real passion right now that that the film that I, the documentary yeah. you did. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Well, I'd always wanted. Let me just say, yeah, you decided to do it because of your wife. No, nothing okay. completely right. completely random. This is like this is just life life pieces falling in the right places at the right time. Um, I'd always wanted to, with the martial arts. That's why I said like everything's connected. I always wanted to be an action star, and then I just gave that up and wanted to be an action filmmaker. You know what? You know what? You know, but then I kind of realized, well, you know what? Like, uh, well, it started during COVID. We lost a lot of work. I had decided to open up uh, my company, Japan Media Services, mm-hmm. because I had to transition out of wrestling. And basically, I got some good advice from an Australian friend of mine, who said, like, just make a homepage, call it like something that's easy to find on Google, when p- people do it. So I was like, okay, Japan Media, okay, Services, all right, let's do that list up everything that you think you can do or you can outsource. And so I did that and my company grew from basically a homepage, right? So what happened was I was filming different random jobs here and there, working as an assistant director and learning on the, on the, on the side and then kind of built up my skills a little bit and then COVID hit and we lost a lot of work. And then I started getting a lot of work uh, in, in 2021 that things related to documentaries, interviews, Tokyo B-roll, we call it like shots of Tokyo that I would have to send because during COVID people couldn't send their film crews here. Okay. So they needed people on the ground who were bilingual who could send the footage back to the UK or back to America. So I started getting a lot of work because Japan was closed and and then I got a I got one job with the BBC and I made a short documentary 6 minutes long about the aging population and uh, I'd also done a, a job for the Fukushima government where I was selected out of more than 100 people. My treatment was selected to, uh, it was about lifting the import ban on Fukushima food. And because the Olympics got postponed 
uh, was it was it September 2021 the Olympics 2021 yes all the foreign dignitaries were coming over right so they figured Fukushima figured this is a great time to show that Fukushima food is safe so they hired me to make a PR video that looks like a documentary that was the whole thing it had to look like a documentary but it's PR we have these things that we need to say in it, right and basically the food is safe so I made this documentary 15 minutes long and it was so successful that five countries lifted their ban. That's that's millions of dollars to the Fukushima economy, thanks to my little old video. And this is, it's all in the news. Taiwan lifted their ban, the U US lifted their ban, uh, UK and Europe lifted their bans. Bec I don't want to say directly because of my video, but it, but it has, to, it, it it has to be. To be because that's the they could see anything. Because I did it all in English, and uh, actually it was a funny thing because when we had the initial Zoom meeting, Okay, we've accepted you, Mr. McAvoy, director. Uh, okay, we had this initial Zoom meeting with one of the company that hired me, which was an ad agency. One of the dudes said, you're a pro wrestler, I know you. I was like, whoa. He's like, you're Fujiwara Ryan. Like, Mr. you're Fujiwara. He's like, I'm a massive fan of you. I was only supposed to direct it. And when he found me, he's like, oh my God, you have to be in it. And then you also, you have to be the narrator. I was like, what, really? Okay, and I was like, I was hoping to get extra money, but they, they didn't give me any extra money. But I was like, yeah, all right, sure. So I was in it as well. And, and narrated. And narrated it. Yeah. And directed it. And edited it. And did everything. Everything. That was the start of like, okay, maybe, maybe I got this documentary thing down. Maybe, maybe being a documentary filmmaker is probably what I was probably supposed to do. So you don't have a team or a group of people that work with you? I hire uh, freelancers. Okay. But this documentary that you saw, I did that 99.9% .9 of myself. Oh. Nobody helped me in that. And that's just because it was a pa project of passion. No one paid me for that. You know, that was just, I want to help these mothers. Right. Mm. So I did everything. I mean, I'm talking like everything. Like I said that my wife produced it, but like she was, she came in at the end when I had tunnel vision. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't see the, the bush for the, the trees kind of thing, right? And I was like, yeah. oh, this is, this is not the aura. It's got to be. And she basically said, like, okay. She stood behind me. He's like, all right, what if you put that there? Gotcha. They what if you do you that? Like that? That happens. That's, what we, that's the producer's job. I hear you. But, right. yeah, I mean, I, I filmed all of that myself. I did all the lighting. I did all the sound. Oh. I did the camera work. I directed all the interviews. I drove to Ishikawa seven hours, uh, Nagano, everything. You did a fantastic. Thank you. I'm yeah. saying that as someone that's, I've had it as a passion to do media work mm -hmm. for a long time. But this is the first time I got pushed into it by one of my, by my assistant, mm -hmm. my right arm. Okay. She pushed me into this after COVID. Okay. And that makes uh, sense. Yeah. I love doing it. Uh -huh. And I can see when people are really good at what they do. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That so, was good. Yeah, thank you. So, so I'd done the Fukushima job and that was quite successful. The BBC jobs came, two of those came in. And they were really highly rated. We made a really nice one about the aging population. And then one of my friends, you might have seen another producer on, that, on there. His name was Frank. He's a Californian guy. And he was living, he just moved back actually. Mm -hmm. Was sitting down for coffee one day whilst I had just finished the BBC job. And he's like, dude, you're really talented. He's like, uh, how do you get these NHK? And I also did NHK World jobs. A couple, mm -hmm. a couple filming for NHK World. Right. Um, BBC said, how do you get these jobs? I was like, I don't know. They just, they, they come to me and... Maybe it's because I'm on the ground here. And he's like, dude, we, you know, we, we'd always want to do stuff together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, we should do a documentary together. And then whatever randomly, I had heard a topic of a single mother. It's a really horrible story. I don't know, do, I don't know if you want to hear it or not, but this you is... You can tell me. Well, this single mother was a friend of my wife's. Uh, her husband, uh, their son got cancer. The husband drained her bank account, took off with another woman, 
and left her to take care of the boy. That's his own son. I was telling him that story because you know, the mother said, no, please don't, don't, you know, very Japanese, don't get involved. It's okay, I'll be okay, I'm okay. And then I told him that story and he was raised by a single mother in California and he grew up very, very poor as well. And it just like, it's like this, like, this is what we got to do. So mm -hmm. single mothers, I didn't know anything about single mothers. You know, like it's when I, when I, I get a bit teary again yeah. because I heard all these poor women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I see the poorest, some of the poorest people that, you know, in Japan and the Japanese people themselves are very, they're very proud oh, people. It's, it's built into society. And they don't want to let anybody know no, that they've no. got any, any. So anyway, we, I started, but I didn't know anything. I was like, really? Japanese? I mean, I know that story, the cancer mm -hmm. story, and that's just, mm -hmm. that's really bad luck mm -hmm. and really horrible, but like really poverty mm -hmm. in Japan? What? Japan is not poor. It's the third biggest economy in the world. It used to be second. Mm -hmm. You don't put poverty in Japan in the same sense. It's just, mm -hmm. you just don't. It's hard to Even for us, right. like we just, you know, we, Tokyo is such a beautiful city and it's, that's because it's hidden poverty. The, the boy sitting next to you on the train might have a nice sweater on. That's right. But he might not have had breakfast. That's right. It's called hidden poverty. And that's the, that's the theme, the real theme of the documentary. Mm -hmm. It's a hidden poverty. Right. And uh, Japanese single mothers. And you know what? It's not just single mothers. It, it is single fathers. They're doing it tough too. I know. But they're not doing it as tough as the mothers. The mothers, that's for they're sure. Not. The poverty levels are completely different. It's a, still a very male-dominated society. Just saying that you're a single mother at work is enough to be like, oh. Right. You make better, you a leopard. Yeah. You, you better quit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And but if you're a, if you're a husband, if you're a, sorry, a single father, and you say that you're a single father, whoa, gone back to the yeah, good, yeah. And it's very different. It's another topic for another day. Mm -hmm. The single fathers mm -hmm. and the topic of dual uh, dual custody, parents running off and not letting children see their their the fathers or their mothers. You know that that's a whole. Another topic for a lot of people said to me, like uh, a couple of people borderline attacked me for the documentary. Why didn't you talk about uh, these mothers that take their kids away from from their fathers? You know, like there was a French gentleman who did a hunger strike. Wait, who's seen it? That hasn't been put out yet. Oh, well, the trailer. They just saw the, oh, trailer. the trailer. Just the trailer. The trailer. Just the trailer, just the trailer okay. was enough to get. Uh, okay. It's a very sensitive topic. A lot of stirs a lot of emotions. Oh, sure. Everyone had their own. Everyone has their own, and so I just explained to them. Look, well, you, you can only cover so much in one film, mm -hmm. and this time I decided to dedicate this one to single mothers. Mm -hmm. That's a great topic, and you you can never engage with them. You can never get angry. You can never. You just have to understand that they're coming from a place of pain as well. Right, and they uh, have their own experience. It's, the, it's from the viewpoint they have, which they, is legit. Mm -hmm, right. Like you said, you can't do everything right at one time. It takes yep. time to cover. So back to putting those two, Japan and poverty, together. I was mm -hmm. like, no. But the further that I dug, the more I realized, like, holy shit, this is, there are some serious social and economic problems going on in this country that are completely swept under the rug, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. under the, t the tatami. <laughs> I guess you could say, being in Japanese. So many things, like uh, problems, like the suicide rate here is high. Compared to other countries, I don't know how high, but mm -hmm. I mean, there's more than 500 people a week mm -hmm. committing suicide in Japan. Um, the, the, the whole deal with uh, the parents taking the kid and disappearing mm -hmm. and never the other spouse never seeing their kid again that's mm -hmm. a massive issue single mother is a complete thing so i decided to to tackle the single mother one problem at a time i hear you one problem at a time mm -hmm. but i found my life work that's raising issues in japanese society that need to be raised because the japanese aren't going to do them no one could have made this film as a japanese 
the Japanese couldn't have made that film. The stigmatism would be too hard on them. I made this as from outside the fishbowl, looking down, having nothing, to, no knowledge of the topic, zero knowledge. I had no idea about anything about single mothers, right? I wrote a treatment that I didn't, I didn't include child poverty. Like mm. one in seven Japanese children are in poverty. That some parents can't can't buy a bag of rice to feed their family, a three thousand yen bag of rice. You know they can't afford that. So like you saw in the film, right? Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. they can pay for fifty yen bowl of rice, right? But they can't afford a three thousand yen. I mean that's that's poor. Right. That's poor. And I didn't know any of that. I started from zero with a treatment that uh, didn't cover half of what's in the film because I didn't know it. And I right. just that's the great thing about documentaries. The people tell the stories. They do. And my documentary has no slant. Yeah, I'm yeah. not right-winged, I'm not left-winged, I don't care about any of that, mm -hmm. I just wanted to make it, this is what's happening. You let them tell their story. Tell right? their story, but the most importantly, this is what's happening, and then you get the experts. The, Dr. Jeff Kingston from Temple University, or the uh, Japan Women's University, Professor Zor. Well, this is what's happening, and this is what we need to do. Before I end the podcast, I always like to ask this question. Knowing what you know now, which you've built up, you're 41, you said, right? Mm -hmm. If you could go back in time and see the younger you, mm -hmm. what time would you go back to and what advice would you give yourself? I wouldn't go back. You have to experience everything for yourself. I wouldn't say anything. I wouldn't change a thing for the world. I am who I am because of Japan. I am who I am because of Japan. I get, I get a bit emotional back. It's, uh, I am who I am. And you know what, during the, uh, the earthquake, when the f earthquake first hit, I mentioned Eric that had uh, passed away, the kickboxer. Uh, unfortunately, sudden heart attack despite being a professional athlete at like 38. It was a massive shock. But he said to me, I said, dude, where you got, are you leaving and leave? Because uh, the French all took off. Remember that? The French all And left. the Germans. The Germans. A lot of Australians went back. A lot of my American friends. They went back to went that's back. right. That's right. Me and Eric, we sat in the Yogi Park. We didn't know if the nuclear fallout was coming to right. Tokyo. We didn't know. And he said to me, you know what? Japan's been good to me. I ain't going anywhere. I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna stick it out too. So well, I, I, I will say I joined your group because I was here. I was right in this club, okay. and I came every single day. Mm -hmm. And Ambassador Roos, I called him. I had my um, general manager call him, and I said, find out if he's leaving or not, or if his wife is gonna leave. And Ambassador Roos said, no, he's not leaving. Neither is his wife, okay. Susan. And he came here once a week, okay. and I was here every day because I was president at that time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to tell you what I want to thank you so much. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Fine, we'll I'm have you on again. Get, get, to, get to, to meet you and, and get to chat you. with you. Yeah. We're going to do it again. Thank you. We'll do it again. Yeah. I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast. Remember that it is an audio podcast as well, so on all the platforms. So make sure you check that out if you don't have time to watch this or you want to hear this podcast while you're driving. Outside of that, remember it's all unknown. So continue to reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed. <laughs>